this is the Joyful Mama Show. We want to help you take actionable steps toward dreams that have more impact, family life that has more peace, and motherhood that has more joy. We think that it's time for moms to rise up in entrepreneurship and change the world. But let's face it, it's hard to sort through all of the ways we get stuck in our own heads and all of the things we feel like we're supposed to be doing. How can we change the world when we're overwhelmed with trying not to feel overwhelmed about homeschooling or power struggles with our kids or taking care of our own hearts, our bodies, and our minds? We want to give you the tools to find rest, joy, and healing while also taking your business and your dreams to the next level. You know you were made for more than hustle. You can feel that you were made for more than the lies that hold you back. And we believe that you were made for amazing things that impact the kingdom of God and the people that God has given you to impact for Him. You were made to be a joyful mama, to have a heart that is thriving, not striving. And we want to help you step into the fullness of all you were created to become. Hey guys, welcome back to the Joyful Mama Show. We are so excited to to come and talk with you today because we have our first interview guest, which is going to be super valuable for you guys. I know I'm so excited to learn, but what we're really talking about today and diving into is emotional, mental, spiritual health, why it's important for us as moms, how we can help our kids be mentally, emotionally, and spiritually healthy. And even kind of talk about the implications of what happens when we don't prioritize our emotional health as moms. And I know one thing we've talked about quite a bit on this show is just kind of unpacking what we've been taught in the church, what we've been taught in terms of parenting. Many of us grew up in this kind of fear-based parenting where we're, you know, follow the rules, do what I say, because I said so, and don't ask questions, just kind of submit and do what you're told and be quiet. (laughs) And a lot of us as as moms, I know many of you who are in our um, listening community are trying to step out of that and really give our kids more freedom to express themselves, ask questions, be emotionally healthy. And we're just unlearning and relearning a lot of new things. And so we have an expert with us today that's going to really help us to really go deeper into this um, subject and Sarah, I will let you introduce our guest, but we're so excited you're here and get ready to take some notes today because I think it's going to be super rich and amazing. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Welcome Becky Castle Miller, who I actually know from college. Becky is a PhD student at Wheaton College studying New Testament. Um, Her dissertation dissertation, how do you say that word? Her dissertation (laughs) research is about emotions in the gospel of Luke, which I think is so cool. She writes and speaks on emotional, mental, and spiritual health in the church. And her discipleship workbook with Dr. Scott McKnight is called Following King Jesus. She and her husband, who is my friend, Matthew, um, and their five kids lived in the Netherlands for eight years up until 2020, where she served as discipleship director at an international church. Welcome Becky to the Joyful Mama Show. Hey, I'm so excited to be talking to you. And Sarah, it's so great to catch up in real time. I know that we've messaged on Facebook over the years, but it's great to have a a live face-to-face conversation with you. Yes, for sure. Okay, so I would love to just jump in and would really love to know the story behind you wanting to pursue a study, like such a heavy study um, in the biblical expression of emotions and how 
we should express emotions biblically, mental health, emotional health, how it's talked about in the Bible, and just where your research has led you. How did you get on this path? Mm -hmm. Well, I grew up Christian. I'm a pastor's kid and have always wanted to be a faithful follower of Jesus. But some of the Christian circles I was in, and especially being homeschooled, some of the curriculum and conferences and things I was exposed to really left me distrusting my emotions, thinking that I couldn't, I shouldn't listen to my emotions. I shouldn't even like pay attention to them. They were just going to lead me away from being obedient to God. So I did a lot of numbing, a lot of suppressing a lot of acting contrary to my emotions and intuition, which is absolutely the opposite of the way God designed us to work as humans. God gave us our emotions to protect us and to help us and, and uh, to help us make good decisions. And our emotions can motivate us to obey God and not move us away from God. And so I really had it backwards on emotion. And so in my twenties, um, I had my first two kids and I had um, undiagnosed postpartum depression. So mental health really intersected with emotional health for me, but I had no categories for mental health struggles either. I didn't know what was wrong with me, um, but thankfully I had good friends who pointed me to good resources. And um, after I had a real emotional breakdown, I got connected with a psychiatric nurse who diagnosed me and got me on an antidepressant that worked for me. I started therapy with a licensed counselor. And I learned how to notice my emotions and, and feel my emotions and let them be in my body and name them and just let them exist and look at what my emotions were pointing me toward and to seek God's healing for my wounds from the past that were that were giving rise to these reactions that felt so outsized and uncomfortable. Um, and then also getting the mental health help I needed through therapy and medication. Uh, and so becoming gradually a healthier person mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And then we moved to the Netherlands uh, after my third baby was born. And then I had two more kids there. So I've got five kids total. And as I started serving more at this international church, and really focused on reading the gospels, I noticed how emotional Jesus was and how I was missing that in my scriptural understanding of emotion. So I started trying to write a book about Jesus' emotions probably uh, 10 years ago and realized I didn't have the research skills to do that. So I, and also I was feeling drawn to um, more of a ministry vocation and realized I should go to seminary to get training for that. So I started a seminary program at Northern Seminary with Scott McKnight that I was able to do on Zoom um, from the Netherlands. And so, so I started in 2016. So before the whole world was doing Zoom, like I got to do these Zoom classes, which was great. So I did um, four years of seminary and then graduated in 2020. We moved back to the US in 2020. And, um, and I realized I could write that book now, but actually there's more to research. And I was feeling drawn to do a PhD. So I started my doctoral work last year um, and so eventually that book will come out on Jesus and emotions and emotional discipleship and having healthy emotions as Christians. Um, but right now I'm committed to finishing my dissertation first. That's awesome. So what made you pick the book of Luke to study specifically? I'm curious. Well, it's my favorite gospel. Um, and if you're going to spend four years working intently on something, you really have to like it. So I knew Luke was a gospel that I was really okay spending that long studying. 
uh, a dissertation has to be very, very narrowly focused. Even though you're writing a hundred thousand words, uh, it it needs to be very deeply researched, not as much widely researched. Well, both. But I mean, what I mean is I'm not covering every emotion in the gospels. I had to narrow it down to one. So I chose Luke. Um, and then it can't be like every emotion in Luke. I counted, and by my count, there's at least 158 instances of emotion in Luke, and that's too many to cover. So I've narrowed it down to three emotions that I'm looking at, and it still might be too much. I still might need to cut a chapter. So it's you really just have to keep narrowing it down and narrowing it down. You want to make one small, clear contribution to the scholarship. Um, and so I hope that my contribution will be using some newer theories of emotion coming from science. Uh, psychology and neuroscience, what emotions are, how they work in the human body, and looking at emotion in the scripture with that definition of emotion in mind. So that's that's an advance on what's been done so far. Um, and then looking at some of the challenges of translating emotion words in the Bible, because emotions are culturally bound, we can't directly translate any of the emotion words from scripture to English. Like I just did a research paper this past term for a, a Paul class. And it was on Philippians 4, 6, where Paul says, be anxious for nothing. I did a, you know, 8,000 word research paper just on that one Greek word, merimnao. How do we translate it? Is anxious really the best translation? Like Paul's emotion of merimnao is not the same thing as our English American emotion anxiety. And actually, when we translate it that way, it leads to some misinterpretation of that verse. Because Paul's not talking about anxiety disorders. He's talking about being distracted or divided or being unduly concerned. So like the nuances of translating emotion words in the Bible are really complicated. So all that to say, um, I'm hoping I can give a contribution to the scholarship of here's how to better understand emotion in the Bible. And also here's how hard it is to understand emotion in the Bible. So for you right now, like what would you describe then of what does biblical emotional and mental health look like? So that's really hard to summarize because the Bible was written over such a long period of time in so many different cultures and languages. So <laughs> what you're going to find in various parts of the Old Testament, you know, the Old Testament spans thousands of years of history and the New Testament also spans time and space and multiple cultures coming together. So it's hard to give like a biblical view on emotion. I would say the gospel's view on emotion is that uh, Jesus expressed his emotions uh, very openly and Jesus found it valuable to teach his disciples about their emotions. He actually, you know, he not only teaches on prayer and faith and evangelism and fasting and, and money, he also teaches about emotions. And that's an overlooked aspect of discipleship. So a biblical view is, seems to be a, a, a gospel view, at least that emotion is good. Emotion is part of being human. Jesus expresses his emotions. Jesus welcomes the emotional expression of the people that he's interacting with. And in some cases he challenges or reorients their particular emotions. It's like he's teaching them perhaps new emotion concepts. So I would say the the gospel view of emotion is overall positive. Jesus never shuts down emotion or tells people to ignore it, but in some cases he reorients it. And so that's why I like to talk about the discipleship of our emotions. I think it's an area of our life that can be shaped just like every other area of our life with Christ. 
Hmm. I don't know so, if that really answered your question. It's no, that's a, a perfect, no, that's a perfect answer to know that it's nuanced and to know that it, you know, has changed contextually throughout the years. And even where your culture, what culture you come from, it determines it. And probably even like your family system and culture and your church system and culture and politically and all those things that you've grown up with will then affect your lens of how you see the appropriateness of expressing different emotions. Right. When you were talking about Jesus teaching his disciples, it just made me think of like us as moms teaching our kids. And like you're saying, Jesus expressed his emotions and he was therefore discipling his his followers how to express their emotions, even if he wasn't outright saying, this is the way you express sadness or this is the way you, mm-hmm. he what by being it, he was mm-hmm. discipling. So in your experience or maybe, you know, and you're seeing other moms, like, how do you think we as moms, because it's such a heavy task to be learning these things ourselves and raising up little people who maybe don't know how to emotionally regulate yet and are extremely in touch with their emotions, yeah. but not necessarily aware at all of what they mean. How do you think we disciple ourselves and let God disciple us in emotional health, mental health, while we're also bringing up these, I mean, you have five kids, you know, how do you do that simultaneously? Yeah. Well, so here's my hypothesis and I've just finished my first year of coursework. I've passed my proposal defense. So like the outline I have for my proposal has passed the committee. I'm going to start working on it this summer. So my hypothesis, which we'll see if it gets proven or disproven is that Jesus is acting as a socializing figure for his disciples in the same way that parents act as socializing figures for their kids' emotions, in the same way that teachers and religious leaders do. So I think that Jesus is playing this socializing figure role. And so I think we can learn from his model as parents the way that he both expresses emotion in front of them and then corrects or reorients their emotions. I think those are things we can learn from as parents, just as he discipled their emotions. So we can do for our kids because Jesus is our example of a disciple maker. So we, as parents, I think can feel free to express our emotions in front of our kids with the caution that we're not directing strong emotions at them that can harm them. You know, venting full blown anger and rage at children is really damaging to them. We don't see Jesus doing that toward his Mm. disciples. But letting them see us cry, letting them see us be sad, letting them see us be indignant at um, religious abuses, um, those are all really good things for our kids to see us. They don't need to see us as stoic or always in control. We can be emotional in front of our children. We can share our vulnerability with them in age-appropriate ways, never in a way that makes them responsible for our emotions. That would be inappropriate. But in ways that say, like, I'm responsible for my own emotions, I'm in control of my emotions, but I want you to see that I'm an emotional person and it's okay for you to be emotional too. Um, And then making space for them to express their emotions and giving them a vocabulary for their emotions. And there are a lot of tools we can use for that. One that I really like is, you'll be able to see this on screen, but the listeners won't. I have this deck of cards called the Little Emotion, Little Otter Emotion Card Deck. And it's watercolor animals and each one has an emotion on it. And it gives a little description and uh, discussion questions about the emotion. 
And my, um, my girls who are 11, nine and seven really like these cards. So if they're feeling big stuff, but they don't have the words for it, I can say, Hey, let's get out the emotion cards and look through these and tell me which, what are you feeling? And it gives them practice at naming their emotions and identifying their emotions. And it's actually what it's doing is teaching them the emotion concepts that are appropriate for our culture that make them fit into our culture. And so that's something that parents do. That's something that Jesus does. And then when they're having a difficult time, we can actually help them reorient their emotions as well. You know, I hear that you're really nervous about that test. Nervousness is really normal before you do something big, but also that fluttery feeling in your stomach, you can actually interpret that as excitement too. Like, are you able to feel excited about doing well on your test tomorrow? Studies have shown when kids can reorient nervousness toward excitement, just as one example, they actually perform better. So helping them reorient in that way, or like, I know you're really worried about making friends. Let's pray and let's have hope. You you teach them like the emotion of hope in God's provision and let's trust God to bring good friends into your life. Let's pray about that together. And then Mm -hmm. let's be a good friend to people and build those relationships. So you are there emotional tour guide, as Lisa Feldman Barrett calls it. She's one of the emotion researchers that I'm working with. She's, you're, you're the emotion tour guide for your children. You're shaping their emotional life. As you use words, like you're identifying instances when you're angry, well, they, they learn then to have a catalog of what angry means. That's so good. I love that emotional tour guide. I always talk about how we're like life coaches. Cause I'm a life coach. <laughs> so I'm like, you're, we're all life coaches as parents. Also we're all, you know, we're all these things, but I love the language of emotional tour guide. What about when kids are expressing, you know, anger and pushback and things like that? Like, I know I, I loved how you married the not denying the emotion and redirecting the emotion to something that's also, you know, good for them, like hope or, um, excitement. But what about when these emotions are then hitting our own emotions? Mm-hmm. Like my kid is yelling at me or they're having a full on meltdown. Do you have any tips or tricks or things that you've done to emotionally regulate yourself? It is, it's the most challenging thing, I think, as a parent to regulate yourself. And it's one of the most important jobs I think parents have. Regulate yourself learn to be emotionally mature yourself so that you can co-regulate with your children. Your children do not yet have the ability to regulate all that big sensation going on inside of themselves. You have to teach it to them and you both model it and teach it explicitly, implicit and explicit teaching. They will learn from what you do. So when you start to feel reactive because of their meltdown, you have to model stepping away, taking some calm breaths, naming what you're feeling, going outside for a walk, you know, the skills you want them to learn, you have to model it first. So the more emotional regulation skills you develop in yourself, the more you can teach to your kids. So you say, you can even name it. I am feeling really angry right now because I'm feeling attacked and I don't want to hurt you with my anger. 
So I'm going to go in the other room for five minutes and close the door. And I'm going to take some deep breaths and I'm going to get myself in a healthier headspace. And then I'm going to come out because I want to be patient with you. And I'm struggling with that. Like just to narrate for them what's going on in your head, making sure that you're never blaming them or putting responsibility on them for your emotions. Your emotions are your responsibility to control. So then when you've calmed yourself down and give them a, you know, and say, you seem to be really upset right now too. Would you like to go to a a quiet space and take some deep breaths and calm down? And then when our bodies are not feeling so reactive, we can have a better conversation and work this out. Now, some kids will not want to be separated, but that will feel like a punishment for them. So you may need to stay close. Like let's sit down on the couch together and take some deep breaths together. You have to physically help them by co-regulating and give them words. So can you tell me what you're feeling right now? Are you are you angry? Are you just irritated? Are you sad? Did someone hurt you? What's going on for you? What's the cause of this emotion? Can you name your emotions? Uh, and talk about those things. The more you model regulation, the better they will be able to imitate regulation. Mm. So hard. <laughs> one of the hardest things of parenting, especially when you're trying to not have this authoritarian, you do what I say, because I said so model, because that model is so much easier. Like the kid just has to do what you say. It's easier for us, at least like it doesn't produce any of the fruit we actually think it produces, but it's easier in the sense of you get what you want tech, you know, theoretically, And there's no, there's none of that emotion you have to work through. You don't have to deal with any of the mess. It's just cut more cut and dry. And the problem is that you don't actually disciple your children into being the kind of adult that you would hope that they can become. Yeah. Authoritarian parenting accomplishes a shutdown compliant child who is ripe to be abused by someone else in the future. Like you basically are creating trauma responses in your children and thinking that you've created obedience. What you've created is a freeze response and a flight response. They will learn to freeze and shut down in conflict and to submit all of their instincts and intuition and God-given emotions to what someone else wants for them, which is the opposite of what you want for your healthy, flourishing child who will become an adult. So actually them feeling free and safe to express big emotions is a great sign that you're doing a really good job as a parent. Hey everyone, guess what? We are hosting a conference. Join us June 10th for the Awaken Women's Conference in St. Joseph, Michigan. It's a one-day event to equip you and inspire you into having more impact and hearing from God for your life. Register right now at tinyurl.com forward slash Awaken Women and join Liz and I in St. Joseph, Michigan. To get our free heart-centered homeschooling ebook or to book a breakthrough call about homeschooling or business with Sarah, visit the links in the description of this podcast. Also, we always want to hear your questions or ideas for new podcasts, so do please slide into our DMs on Instagram or post in our Facebook group. We would love to hear from you.